You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Thanksgiving, each and every one of you. Amen. And it's good to be with you um, here this morning. I'll just give you a few highlights of our trip. You can be seated. It's good to be back with you. We uh, we had our flight scheduled for last Friday, not this past Friday, but the Friday before. And, of course, everything got canceled because of the hurricane, and we were frantically trying to find uh, new tickets to get us down there. So we ended up flying out of Manchester and uh, drove six and a half hours down, parked the car, and (laughs) flew out from there. And we just had a tremendous time. God moved in an amazing way. It was uh, probably one of the largest general conferences that we've ever had, over 17,000 in attendance. And just amazing to see what God is doing around the world. Um, amazing to see what God is doing right here in North America. We've, we've got more churches than we've ever have, than we've ever had. We've got more ministers than we've ever had. Uh, this year alone, we've got over 1,300 ministers that, uh, that have just been licensed this year alone. We've got over 11,000 ministers just in North America. And it was so good just to be able to gather together with uh, all those different ministers and different missionaries that were still there. Got to see some of them that were just recently through, actually. The Wickets that were just here, they had a booth set up, so we were able to talk to them. And, and it, was a, it was a tremendous time. And um, uh, some powerful messages that we heard all throughout that conference and really stirred our hearts. Some powerful sessions that we were able to be in as well. Uh, Sister Vesta Mangan, she did a session, 96 years old, and she did a powerful session at conference. Um, And it's just amazing to see. (laughs) I hope that I have that vigor still at 96 years old. Um, She was was there praying for people and just just wonderful move of God. And um, such encouragement that we've felt from the executive... um, the executive board from the leadership of this great organization that we're so glad to be a part of. And, um, and then yesterday we started our trip back, and uh, Pastor, I had to get him different flights because he had to be in Newfoundland to preach this morning. Um, so he's in Newfoundland. Pray for him. Pray that God will give him safe uh, traveling mercies as well. He's going to be traveling around Newfoundland the next couple of days, meeting up with ministers and doing some meetings, and then traveling, flying back here on Tuesday night. And uh, so just pray for him. We, we landed back in Manchester and uh, drove the six and a half hours back home last night, got home around one o'clock, and I'm just on fire. Excited to be back. I want to thank my in-laws for watching our kids for us while we were gone. I'm sure that they uh, had such a great time. And I want to thank the McClendons for watching our fur baby for us. <laughs> and uh, we're excited to get him back. <laughs> I'm getting, no, you're not getting him back. <laughs> Amen. And uh, 
We've missed each and every one of you. My wife, she's traveling back to Miramichi right now as we speak to go and pick up uh, our kids, relieve my in-laws from, uh, from them, and bring them back home today. And so just pray for her as well as she travels. Amen. And one of the sessions that uh, I was in, it's funny how God works, uh, a sentence that one of the speakers spoke, you may not know of who he is, but uh, Brother Jeffrey Harple, he um, pastors an incredible church. We've been there, my wife and I, for a Heart of Worship conference. And uh, he did a session, and in that session, he spoke one sentence, and that really stuck out to me, and I thought, I've got to go back and look into this. And of course, this is the basis for my notes here today. And he talked about how John, John chapter 4 came to full fruition in Acts chapter 8, and so I went back to the hotel room, and I'm, you know, getting in my Bible and studying this out to see what, what all of this was talking about. And so here this morning, just for a few moments, I'm going to speak to you on this topic, seeds. And uh, if one more time we could just pray together, that would, that would help me out a lot here this morning. God, we are so thankful once again to be in your house. We are so thankful for everything that you've already done. God, I thank you, Jesus, for your wonderful blessings. God, and for bringing us back safely to be with your people here today. God, I pray that you would let your will be done throughout the rest of this service. Lord, help me to speak your word. God, according, lead to these wonderful people here this morning. We give you all praise and all glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 I... Um, I just want to start out by saying that I was born into a Pentecostal church. I, uh, I look back over my heritage, and uh, at a very early age, my sisters and I would put on church for my family, for my parents. And, you know, I would get out the Bible, we'd pick a couple of songs, and we'd do our own little mini service at home. And I just, uh, I, I just loved the church. And I remember, um, I remember coming to the realization that I needed to be baptized. And I went to my pastor, Brother Wicket, and I told him, I said, I want to be baptized. And, and so he took me down to the Belial Bay. It, thankfully, it was not the wintertime. We didn't have to break any ice. It was in July. And uh, baptized me in the wonderful name of Jesus. I was so thankful for that. And I uh, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost at Harvey Camp years ago. And I, I look back over my heritage, I look back over all of, all of my life, everything that I've known, I grew up kneeling beside my father at the altar, praying, and I'm so thankful for that. But I'll have you know here this morning that it did not start there, it did not start there. My family, they lived on Albert Street in the North End, and uh, my grandfather, he worked at the docks, and... Uh, my grandmother, she had a friend, and I might have told this story before, but I'm just going to reiterate it again. She had a friend that uh, kept on pestering her and kept on pestering her, you need to come to church with me. And my grandmother kept on telling her no. And so there was tent revival services that were happening here in St. John. Brother C.B. Dudley, he was the minister, and, and my, uh, my grandmother, she was prodded again by her friend, you've got to come with me, just come to one of these tent revival services. And so she came, and God changed and transformed 
our entire family line just from that one occasion. My grandmother stepped into that service and everything that she thought she knew about God, everything that she thought that she had down pat about God came to full realization during that service. At the end of that service, Brother C.B. Dudley, he came down off uh, from around that, that, that makeshift pulpit that they had in that tent, and he invited everybody to come to the front that needed healing. And there was a 16-year-old girl that came to the front in a wheelchair. She had been shot in the spine, paralyzed, and uh, she came up to be healed, and Brother C.B. Dudley, he laid his big pear, bear paws on her forehead and began to pray. And just as he began to pray, the Holy Ghost fell, and she jumped up out of that wheelchair speaking in other tongues, and she ran around. She ran around that tent. And my grandmother seen this, and she says, if God can do that, what can he do for me and my family? And, uh, and so she came. She started bringing uh, her kids to the Lord, and, uh, and just so you know, I, I come from a big family on both sides of my family. The Robertsons, there was 14. There's still 11 that are alive today. On my mother's side, there was 11. There's still nine, eight left alive today. And uh, so she started bringing her kids, and um, my grandfather, he did not want to come to church. He kept on refusing. And every morning, my grandmother would take out his suit, his best suit, and lay it, on the, lay it out on the bed. And he would say, I don't know why you bother doing that. I'm not going. And he would get, you know, upset and grumpy about that. So finally, she kept on praying. And she did this, I don't know, for how long, months, years. And uh, so finally, one day, she walked by the room after doing this every single Sunday. She walked by the room, and he was putting on that suit. And she said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to church. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, and he started coming to church. And here I am today, a byproduct of what God can do. And I'm so thankful for that. It did not start with me. Amen. And uh, it's all because of God that I'm here today. I'm thankful, for, I'm thankful for the wonderful privilege that I have to know who Jesus is. And I do not take it lightly at all. The older I get, the more I realize that uh, what a blessing that it was to be able to grow up the way that I did, and I thank God for it. There was a culture of discipleship that was created in our household. What started with my grandmother, she instilled into her children, and, and then my parents instilled into me and my sisters growing up. And, you know, I did Bible quizzing. I, I wasn't any good at Bible quizzing, the quizzing part, but I love the Bible. And I wanted to memorize it, and I, I would, scripture after scripture, begin to memorize the scriptures. And I knew at a young age that I wanted to be a preacher. And uh, I watched my pastor growing up, and I wanted to be like him. I would mimic his preaching style, and I would try to be just like him and preach some of the messages that he would preach to my family when those and I was just young. And at 14 years old, God spoke in my life and confirmed the call that I had in my life. And I went off to Bible school. And as, as soon as I graduated from high school, I didn't want to become a preacher so I could make people feel good with sermons or be a people pleaser. I wanted to do it because I felt a call to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like he had reached into my life. So thankful for that. 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, it's Jesus gives us what we know as the Great Commission. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. That word teach, it means to make disciples, and you may have heard tell of that before. Jesus created the perfect plan to establish his church. He exemplified it in his own life. The majority of his time that he spent, he spent with his disciples. He spent with people that he called out and said, follow me. And he instilled into them everywhere he went. He took them most places that he went so that they could watch and observe so that eventually they could do. And he, uh, he spent the majority of his time with those disciples, teaching them, training them for the day that they would go out and make disciples themselves, and so continue on that same plan. Even with the Great Commission ringing in our ears and our eyes, gazing at the right fields all around us, we let our sense of unworthiness, lack of compassion at times, lack of love and lack of faith, keep us from speaking what God has etched upon our very hearts. In John chapter 4, Jesus ends up traveling off the beaten path. He headed in a direction no Jew would go, Samaria. And this is where our text gets to here this morning. I'm finally getting to it. And I said all of this to, to bring us to this point. Jesus, he sends his disciples to find food, and he goes to a nearby well, and shortly there is a woman that comes along to get water. We pick up the story in John chapter 4. It's just amazing to see what God does in this little interaction that he has. It says in verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Where are you going to get that? And are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as well as his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The kind of water I have to offer you, you will never thirst again. And she, of course, was perplexed by the statement. She couldn't understand what Jesus was talking about. Jesus then reads her mail, tells her things about her life that he would have never known. Nobody ever would have known, but he knew. And it's not long before she realizes that she is speaking to the Messiah. She runs into the village to spread the news and tells everyone. And it's at this point that we pick up the story in John chapter 4, verse 27. We jump ahead, it concludes that those who obey the command and privilege to plant seeds of righteousness in his kingdom will receive a bountiful harvest, either in this lifetime or the next. 
John chapter 4, verse 27, it says, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or, Why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. When the disciples returned from Sychar to purchase food, they were shocked to find Jesus talking to a woman. Their shock was understandable as a Samaritan woman, considering the attitudes towards women reflected in the Jewish rabbinical writings. You see, one example of this uh, is that a man shall not be alone with a woman in an inn, not even with his sister or his daughter, on account of what men may think. A man shall not talk with a woman in the street, not even with his own wife, and especially not with another woman on account of what men might say. And so this was one of the protocols that the Jewish people had. Also, the disciples, they were likely shocked that Jesus, a Jew, had spoken to someone from Samaria. In, 17, in 721 B.C., the Assyrians, they conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and renamed that district Samaria after its capital city. And many were exiled, but those who stayed claimed to be the descendants, the direct descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh. And there was hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. They had no dealings with each other. They didn't walk on the same paths with each other. They didn't talk to each other. The Jews, they disliked the Samaritans for having intermarried with foreigners, for having worshipped many gods, all the while claiming to believe in the God of Israel and for only accepting the Pentateuch as their Bible. The Samaritans disliked the Jews for their apostasy, for not allowing them to join the reformation of religion under Ezra and Nehemiah and for setting up a holy place other than Mount Jezerim. But both of these groups had strict rules to not associate or speak to one another. Both were doing things they knew that they shouldn't, and there was a line that was drawn in the sand and said, I'm not going to cross over to you. You're not going to cross over to me. For Jesus to be found speaking to a Samaritan was shocking because he went against cultural norms of his day. He went outside the box of what they thought the Messiah would ever do. There are few things in life so tragic as having missed a great opportunity. And since the disciples did not question Jesus as to why he was talking to a Samaritan woman, they missed a great opportunity to witness. They ignored the Samaritan woman's needs, particularly due to the cultural divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. And out of respect for their culture, the disciples chose not to ask him any questions, but instead ignore the situation entirely. Had they just asked, had the disciples asked Jesus why he was talking to a Samaritan woman, they would have found out that Jesus' mission was not only to the Jews, that they had just thought. In their small thinking, in their, in their confined thought, they thought Jesus has just come for the Jews. He's just come for this select people. He has not come from the Samaritans. He hasn't come for any other person in the world. He's just come for us. They did not think that he came for the whole world to whoever will come and drink. 
The Samaritan woman was so overwhelmed with joy that she would be offered this offer. That she runs back to her town and tells everybody that comes into her path this encounter that she just has with Jesus. She's so excited about it, and there's joy that grips her soul as she reflects on the good news that she had heard. A Samaritan had been offered living water that once that person partook of it would lead to everlasting life. Jesus told her that a time would soon come when worship of God would not be on Mount Jezreel, nor in Israel, nor in Jerusalem, but instead, anywhere, people would worship him in spirit and in truth. She had this debate going on. You know, the Jews say that this is a proper mountain to worship on, and the Samaritans say that this is a proper mountain to worship on. We set up our own temples. We set up our own structure to say this is the proper spot. And Jesus told her there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day where people are not just going to worship me on this mountain or on that mountain, but I'm going to be worshiped everywhere. There's not going to be any limitations. The veil is going to be torn, and my presence is going to be available to whosoever will, whoever wants to come and drink, whoever wants to be a part of this will have the opportunity. I'll be worshiped in spirit and in truth. And the greatest news of all was that the one who gave her this good news was none other than the Messiah himself. Despite her being an outcast of society, despite the cultural hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans, she abandoned the water pot that she had come for at Jesus' feet, Jesus' feet in hopes that she would soon return with the town thirsty to find living water. You've got to know what I just heard. She had enough faith to ask her fellow villagers, could this be the Messiah? And in doing so, she began to plant seeds that compelled them to seek and find Christ for themselves. She went back into the town with the news that she just heard and just began planting seeds one by one. And this brings me to my first point. To be effective in spreading the good news, one must have faith that no one is beyond redemption that there is not a person that cannot be reached. There's no one too far that can't be reached. There's no one that's too far gone that can't return. There's no one too dirty that he can't clean. There's no one beyond redemption. John chapter 4, verse 31, we continue the story here. It says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. You haven't eaten anything, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Where did he get this food from? Does he have like snacks somewhere? You should have seen us traveling. We had a suitcase just for snacks. My wife was so afraid we were going to starve to death. So she just, we went to Walmart before we went and we went to the dollar store and we just loaded up a suitcase on snacks and we still had most of it when we came home. So we're trying to eat up all of these so that we have room in our suitcases. And, um, Jesus, he said, no, nobody brought me any snacks. I didn't get food from any results. I have food to eat that you don't, you don't know about. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. 
Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He was saying this in Samaria. He was saying this at a well, Jacob's well. And he was, he was talking about the harvest of souls, people that were ready, people that were hungry, people that were thirsty, just to, just to get a glimpse, just to get a, a part of what Jesus had for them. Jesus used their suggestion to eat as an opportunity to teach his disciples about the priority of spiritual over physical things. What good would it be to gain the whole world and yet forfeit one soul? The food that Jesus spoke about was obedience to God and the completion of the task that that he was sent to do and to die as a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of this world. Verse 34. And in their fixation on the physical task of obtaining food to eat, the disciples, they did not notice the ripe Samaritan harvest that were thirsty and in dire need of eternal waters. And as those who have been purchased at a price, I'm talking to the church, to those who have been purchased at a price, we must be willing at a moment's notice to set aside our worldly tasks and just begin to plant seeds among those that God has sent our way. We, we come across people on a daily basis at the gas station, at the, at the food court, at the mall. As we're going about our day, we come across people that we don't even realize, and they might not even realize that they are starving, that they are dying of thirst. They're grappling for anything just to try to fill that thirst to quench that, and nothing will fill that. And every single day, they're looking for something, something that will just take the edge away, something that will just just quench it for a little while to numb that feeling of emptiness that they feel inside. And scripture tells us our top priority is to go and make disciples of all nations and to always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks why we have hope in Jesus Christ. This does not mean that you have to be a scholar, a theological scholar to spread the good news, that, but merely willing to give your personal testimony of how Christ saved and changed your life. You don't know how powerful your testimony is. How many times have we witnessed and we missed opportunities to tell others about Christ simply due to our fear of spiritual differences between us and them, or due to our desire, our selfish desire to further our kingdom rather than his. Christ's love, it compels us to drop everything, to tell those sent our way that Christ died for all. And this brings me to my second point. Just so you know, there's not 15 points. I'll have you out of here in a decent time. I know some of you have probably planned your Thanksgiving dinner for today with your family, and I, I, I recognize that. I've only got three points, so I'll let you in on that. I'm already on the second, so we're, we're speeding along at a good rate. This brings me to my second point. Those who want to be effective in evangelism are not at liberty to set their own priorities. We can't tell God what order things should be in. He is in command. We simply follow his lead. We aren't in a position to dictate how his kingdom is framed. 
He has empowered us to make his kingdom our priority. So we follow his lead. God, wherever you lead me, I'll go. Whatever you put into my mouth to speak, I'll speak. God, whoever you call me to pray for, I'll I'll pray for. One of the speakers at conference, he was talking about how God has given each and every one of us at times a window of opportunity to speak into somebody's life, and that window isn't open forever. And so you have to be ready to will and willing to listen and heed to the call and voice of God when he, when he speaks into our life. We get little proddings within us that say, just, just go and talk to that person. Just go and pray to this person, for this person, and, and pray for their situation. And if we... Sometimes we push it off and say, oh, no, no, God, it's not the right time. It makes me a little bit uncomfortable to go and do that. But those are windows of opportunities that God puts into our path just to, just to put a seed, just to put a seed. In John chapter 4, verse 35, I reiterate this. Jesus still continuing to talk. I, I've already read this portion, but it says, Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I'll just stop here for a second. Some of us have the wonderful opportunity of coming into this where others have gone on before and planted seeds all across. I think of, I think of individuals that have gone on before us, individuals that have worked and toiled all across to just lay a little bit of gospel here and there, preach a little bit of Jesus here and there to people all around. People like Brother Fudge. People like Brother Stewart. Individuals that have given their life for this gospel and have gone on to their reward, but there's still something growing in the soil. Their prayers have never died. The things that they have done has never died, and we're seeing the fruition of the things that they had planted come to pass. We're seeing the people that they had ministered to come to pass the people that they come in contact with and preach to. He goes on to say, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Now Jesus uses a proverbial saying, it's still four months until the harvest, to teach the disciples that, well, it takes time to plant physical seed to grow and be harvested, the planting and growth of spiritual seeds are a whole other matter. First, unlike the harvest of physical seeds that have finite value because they are here today and gone tomorrow, a harvest of spiritual seeds has infinite value for those who have gone from being without hope in God to being eternally part of his family. And secondly, even though the time has come when people will no longer put up with sound doctrine, the days will also come when the reaper will overtake the plowman. Imagine that for a second. Amos, he prophesies that there will come a day 
when those who are reaping, those who are harvesting the crop that has grown will overtake the one who is planting. The one harvesting the crops will overtake the one planting the seed. We are living in those days that Jesus prophesied about. It won't be long before those eastern skies part. This passage finishes by stating that because of the Samaritan woman's witness concerning Christ, many in her town believed and were able to take part. And this brings me to my final point, third point. Those who want to be effective in evangelism must have faith that ripe fields can produce a harvest. You must believe that not only is your neighborhood worth saving, it's ready to be saved. The people who live across the street from you are ready to hear the gospel. They're dying of thirst. They need what you have. God chooses everyday Christians like you and me to plant seeds of righteousness in his kingdom. If you want to be successful in planting and reaping seeds in God's kingdom, then be ready to drop everything when he asks. Write off no one as unredeemable and have faith that God will produce through your labor a great harvest, either in this lifetime or the next. The day that Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, he was planting a seed. He didn't see it produce anything other than belief at that time, but as time goes on, Jesus fulfills the reason he came. He dies on the cross. Three days later, he is raised to life. And then he speaks to his disciples before ascending back up into heaven. We see this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus tells his disciples, I apologize, Rachel, I forgot to give you the scripture. Jesus tells his disciples before he ascends up into heaven, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, watch this, and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's not going to stop there. It's going to begin in Jerusalem. It's going to go out and keep on going out and keep on going out. Don't forget Samaria. Jesus was telling them, I was there, remember? I planted a seed. But the fulfillment of John chapter 4 didn't occur until Acts chapter 8. If we could all stand, I'm going to come to a close and have the music come back. Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere pre preaching the word. They were scattered for a reason. Persecution started taking place. The church was being persecuted and put underneath pressure. They were being killed, pulled out of their homes killed for what they believed. The name of Jesus was trying to be silenced. Whoever couldn't be bought to be silent was being murdered. Whoever couldn't be silenced was being put in prison. And so they began scattering. Those who could escape began scattering outside, and they began going everywhere. And this is what happened they didn't run away and just keep silent. Oh my goodness, we're never going to be speaking about Jesus again. We look at our, our we, we look at, at Canada and we think, oh, the land of the free. <laughs> just like North America, just like United States. We're, we're privileged to be able to have the freedom that we have, but it's not that way all around the world. We're not persecuted 
like many people are around the world that believe this wonderful truth. We have liberty to come into this place without being fearful of somebody coming in and stopping us at gunpoint. Pulling away our family for what we believe. But there was a time we can read about in the first century where they were first facing this tremendous persecution. They didn't want the name of Jesus preached anywhere. And yet it was still going out because there were seeds that were planted. It was still growing no matter how much persecution came. They scattered more and preached the word. They scattered more and preached the word. And it was just like the seed was being cast further and further every time it was persecuted. And it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes that came with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. God sends Philip, the seed that was planted by Jesus at a well in Samaria, to one woman, was finally coming to fruition through the people that Jesus discipled. And I will state again what I stated at the start of this message. He spent the majority of his time with his disciples, teaching them, training them for the day that they would go out and make disciples themselves. The seed I plant may not produce today, or even in my lifetime. But those who I disciple, those who I train and impart into, will see the fruit of the labors of those who have gone on before. And that's why Jesus was able to tell his disciples, greater things than these shall ye do. You're going to see greater revivals. You're going to see more people come to, to the understanding of who I am than I've seen while I was here with you. Philip was there that day Jesus said I must needs go through Samaria he was there when the disciples questioned why Jesus was speaking to a Samaritan he was there and a few years later God commissions him to go to Samaria and share the gospel God's design for his church is discipleship I grew up in the country my parents had a farm when I was little and I grew up helping other people on their farms and I, I might have told this story before and this is what I'll close with I'm almost done my dad and I we had been out fishing we were coming back home and as we were coming down to the dirt road there was a of course we we know all the farmers each one and there was a particular farmer Byron and he was working by himself trying to get all the hay in off the field before it rained and the sky was dark and I remember dad looked up at the sky as we were driving along and he said he's not going to get it in in time by himself. And so he pulled the truck over to the side of the road and him and I walked through the field over to Byron. And we didn't say a word to him. We just began picking up the hay bales beside him and putting it up onto the back of that trailer. One by one. And eventually that was piled so high. My dad had to get up to the top and I was throwing the hay bales up to him so that he could keep on piling. And 
just as we were heading back to the barn with this load of hay, we had loaded the last bale of hay up onto the back of that trailer. We were heading back and all of a sudden the raindrops started falling. And just as we got into the barn, I remember standing inside the barn and looking out through that big door and it just downpoured. And uh, I remember Byron was so happy about that. He's passed on now. But that lived in my mind as, as an example of how each and every one of us are a part of this. No man is an island. I, uh, the entire conference, I was standing there and I was looking at the pulpit and I seen uh, written on the pulpit the mandate of the United Pentecostal Church International. It says the whole gospel to the whole world, watch this, by the whole church. It's not just based upon me. It's not just based upon you. We need everybody in this end time revival to pull each and every person in that we can, plant seeds everywhere we go, scatter them as far as we can so that that seed will go into people's soul. It may not be fruition today. We might not see the effort sprout out of the ground today, but there will come a day. There will come a day that that seed that had been planted deep will begin to grow. And we will see that harvest come to pass. Everyone is valuable in the kingdom of God. Everyone is needed to gather in the end time harvest. And there are people who are sitting at the wells of this world trying to find fulfillment that will never, they'll never get from there. They need to know about the overflowing of God's presence available for them. Our forefathers have planted seed across the city. The harvest is ready. We need each and every one to help us gather it. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.